be with you, great be with you and Cal, what a great team they are. And great to be with you all as well. And uh, thank you for the invitation back. That's twice in a year, I think it would have been. I've been here in the church. And you mentioned the book. I've just got about seven copies left because, as I say, the new one's coming out. And those are 50 years in ministry. Basically, that's what, that's what the book's about. The novel, actually, uh, just say a little bit about that. It's out in two weeks. You can get that, first of all, get it on Amazon later, but it's all Kindle or something. But it's uh, best to get it probably cheaper to get it on the website, johnglass.co.uk. And it's a way of really sharing our faith through a novel. You know, our worldview, a lot of people's worldview is got through the television, through films, and through radio. Yeah. And uh, it's a way of introducing the gospel and some big issues that we deal with in our life um, in that way rather than just through straight writing, which I normally do. But right now, I want you to turn to the scriptures, or if you don't, you can just listen if you wish. I want to turn to Romans 8. And a well-known passage in the scripture. Um, what a great beginning to the meeting when we had our sister telling about the names of God. Uh, 104 names of Jesus in Old and New Testament. You say, well, how can you have names of Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, you have names of Jesus in the Old Testament because, of course, there's prophecies of Jesus coming. And so his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God that we heard from Isaiah 9-6. Are um, uh, the names of Jesus, 104. And I want to speak today about the God who is more than, even more than all of those names. Isn't that amazing? And then in the video clip, we had the things about how great our God is. So I feel when I come in, not that I really needed confirmation, because I really felt that the word I've got for today is the word God's got for us. As I said, I think when I was here last time, I don't want to preach sermons. Uh, And as David said earlier, Pastor David said earlier on, that we really want something that connects with our real life in the real world. Amen that works on Monday morning as well as Sundays. Uh, That's so important for us all. I want to talk about the God who is more than, more than even we could ever ask or imagine. He said God wants to do for us um, far and exceedingly abundantly. That's huge, isn't it? More than we could ever ask or imagine. Uh, Because what what happens is, you see, our, our faith limits us. Our faith limits us. We say, well, you know, what can you believe for God could do in your life? And so we begin to think what could happen. But how's, here's the problem. What if God wants to do more for you and your family and for this church? Uh, but let's talk about you as an individual. What if God wants to do more than you can ima- ask or imagine? Now, we don't pray according to our faith. Then we have to pray according to the faith of God. It's what God believes could happen to us and through us uh, if we really trusted him. And so this idea of a God who is more than, does more than we can imagine, comes really out of Romans 8. It's a long chapter, so we're going to read around about verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, isn't that powerful? Whatever we're going through, and you may be going through some tough stuff, whatever we go, and we do go through tough stuff, God says in his word that all these things are working for our own good. And you say, well, that's great to sound on a Sunday morning. John, but the problem is this, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm going through some difficulties in my life, and uh, I can't see how these things are working out. Well, actually, this chapter deals with the tough stuff. We're going to come to the tough stuff in a moment, how God is, even in those situations, is working for a good. I could tell you stories, personal things, and my wife and, uh, and our life, we were going through really, really tough times, and things happening to us, and we thought, how in the in heaven's name, and say that reverently, how can this be for our benefit? 
You cannot believe. And some of them are physical things. Some of them are spiritual things. Some of them are financial things. I think one instance that just comes to mind now was, um, and we've not even got into the Bible. I don't know if we're even going to get there yet, but I'll just tell you the story. Because you get this idea, you know, that we preachers, we float three feet above the ground every, all the day. And we're not in the real world and we don't get tough stuff. How many people know preachers go through tough stuff? And, and that gives us the credibility, actually. And you say, why are you allowed to go through uh, hard times and difficulties? Uh, and one of the reasons is that it gives you credibility. It gives you credibility. Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians in the New Testament, wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, I was feeling so down and so burdened. He said, I was pressed out of measure above strength, even so much that I despaired of life itself. Now he said, oh, we should put more faith in that. He should have been more, better positive, more positive confession. We should have better positive confession than that. What a terrible thing to say. And the phrase that he's using when he talks about pressed out of measure above strength, uh, it was a phrase in the original language of, from the world, world of metallurgy. So if you've got, for example, uh, a piece of gold and you want to hammer it out and put it into a square that is that size. And so you hammer out um, and, and it's fine. Then you say, I would like it instead of going out to that size, I'd like to go out twice the size. When you begin to hammer that out, you find you haven't got enough gold. And it begins to break up. It begins, you know, if kids playing with plasticine, you're trying to make something too big and it breaks up. And Paul says, I've got to a place in my life and my ministry when I'm pressed out of measure. In other words, there's not enough of me to go around. There's not enough of my emotions to go around. There's not enough of my strength. He said, I've, I'm being taken beyond my personal strength. He said, and he even goes further, he said, actually, I've almost given up, not given up on God, but I've almost given up on my capacity to endure and to get on with it. And then he says these amazing words. He said, but then the God of all comfort came. And then he says, he comforts me with the comfort so that I can comfort others with the comfort that I've received from God. In other words, I've now got something I didn't have before. I sometimes tell the story that if everybody at the end of the meeting had gone, it was just me left in the room, even Pastor and, uh, and Carol had gone, and they were doing something, talking to people, and I'm left in the room here with one other person. Somebody comes to the door at the end of the service who's an alcoholic. His life has been broken up. His marriage has been lost. Uh, his, his home has been lost. And he says, he says to you, you're at the door. You're the one person on the door. And he says, anybody in can help me. And he says, well, there's two people in there. He said, he said well, I've only got time to speak to one of them. He said, well, who are the two people? He said, well, you say to, and you say to him, well, one of them is used to, guy used to be the general superintendent of Elam. He's been a minister for 40 years, 50 years. Um, he's, he's done this and he's done that. And he says, is there anybody else there? And he said, well, yeah, there is. He's only been saved about six months. He was an alcoholic and his life was messed up and his marriage was broken. And he lost everything. Uh, he's only been a Christian six months. Who do you think he wants to speak to? He, doesn't want, he might want to speak to me one day, but not then. He wants to see, speak to the person who's gone through the tough stuff he's going through. Are you following me? Who's gone through the tough stuff. Who is qualified to speak to him because he's received a comfort from God that he needs. 
And sometimes when we go through tough stuff, we think that it disqualifies us, even sometimes in our failures. We go through, we, you know, we, we mess up. How many people know Christians mess up? And we think, uh, but God is, uh, and we're going to come to that at the end, uh, because God is more than forgiving. And he's more, you know, he's a gracious God. God is more than the second chance God. He's the third chance and the fourth chance God. And the tough stuff that that guy's gone through, he may have only been a Christian for six months, but he's received something from God that he now has a comfort he can pass on. And when we go through difficult times, it means that we've got something to give other people who are going through difficult times. That's why the Lord allows us to go through difficult times. That's why he allows it from time to time. So let's go back to the scripture. So we do know that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his son. Verse 31, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? You might feel you're the weakest person in, in Harlow, but I want to tell you, if God is for you, no one can be against you. No weapon formed against you can prosper. It doesn't say that no weapon the devil forms against you will not be shot at you. It says that it will never hit you and ruin you and bring you down. No, no weapon that's formed or pointed against you will ever succeed in, in, in its attempt to bring you down. And we're going to find out why in a minute. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who, and this is awesome, he who did not spare his own son... That's Jesus, that's where the Father didn't spare Jesus, but he gave him up for us all so that we can be saved. How will he, the Father, not also along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? In other words, if the Father has given us Jesus, his own son, then what else is he going to withhold from us? Now someone comes to me and say, John, you know, John, I want to say that if ever you go through, this person says to me, it never happened, but I'm an multimillionaire, and if you ever need anything, I'm here for you. Nice thing to be told, isn't it? And he says, you know, I, I'm talking, you know, 100 grand. I'm talking 100 grand. I'm talking 200 grand. And, uh, and I thought, well, I'm, I don't know whether it's serious or whether it's not. And then one day I hit a problem, and I need 200 grand to pay a bill. Do you think I'd have some confidence to go with my 200 to a man who's promised me 100,000? Yes, because if he's promised me that, he'll give me this. And if the Father has given us Jesus, what else, what else will he withhold from us? Amen? What else would he want to withhold from us? Now let's move on. But then it says, listen, you are going to hit problems in your life. Things that you will not be able to explain. You are going to get a 2 Corinthians 1 experience somewhere in your life. When you're feeling, what's going on? Why is God allowing this? So he doesn't say, this is not kind of flaky faith preaching that says, you know, come to Jesus and all your problems will go. No, what this is talking about is, yes, we're more, we're going to find out in a minute we're more than a conqueror, but he says this, everything's working together for your good, even though you go through tough times. And then he mentions some of the tough times, and the tough times that are mentioned here, I'm telling you, I've never been through these. In fact, some of these, I don't know anybody who's been through these. This is the list. It says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, before he gets there, uh, verse, let's look at verse 35. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine? So I've not gone through famine. Or nakedness. And that means, actually, I mean, reduced. So you've got nothing but the, you know, you've not even got clothes. Or danger or sword. 
as it is written, if for your sake we face death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That is what the early church that he was writing to in Rome were going through. They were going through it. I was blessed by coming through the foyer this morning and seeing, you know, that how we need to stand we, together with the persecuted church. You see that on the poster in the foyer, your foyer. I mean, Paul says an amazing thing. He says, remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison with them for the faith. Wow. Wow, that is amazing. I, I found that hard to do, imagine what it must be like. So it goes through the list. But then it's, and for your sake, sake of the gospel, we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Someone say more than. More than conquerors. How can you be more than a conqueror? I mean, if two boxers go into a ring and one is bigger and stronger than the other and you think, well, I know who the winner's going to be, and eventually he wins and he's a conqueror. But how can you be more than a conqueror? Well, you, it's very difficult to under, say, how can you be better than a conqueror? This is how he can be better than a conqueror. If before you get in the ring, you know you're going to win before the first punch goes. You're a winner before you start. And the Bible says, before we face anything, God has made us victorious in Christ. The victory is not our victory we can show off about. It's he, his victory becomes our victory. His victory at the cross becomes our victory. His overcoming the devil becomes our ability to overcome the devil. I've just got to give an illustration of, of, of a financial situation in our life some years ago. Marilyn and I, we moved to Scotland. We were there for 16 years, and I went there as the region, initially as the regional leader for Scotland, Freedom in Scotland. And we found some problem getting a house and stuff like that. Eventually, we found a house. It was a, a bungalow, and it was in a tough area, but because it was in a, a tough area, it was at the top of a hill, actually, in a tough area, but we could afford it because of the area it was in. And so we decided to go for it, and the price was right for us, and we were okay. My wife was working full-time at the time, and so she took all the holiday that was allowed for us for us to look for houses. Eventually, we decided on this place, and um, as I say, at the top of this hill, um, it wasn't like at the top of a mountain, it was the top of a hill, do you understand what I mean? It was within the thing. And uh, anyway, the last minute, um, and I won't go into the details, the house was virtually stolen from under our nose. We paid for the survey, hundreds of pounds, we'd done every, or paid solicitors, and it was, it was, we're not just gazumped, something happened, which I haven't got time to talk about now, but somebody swindles us out of the deal. And... Um, it wasn't like a gazumping thing. We were swindled out of the deal. We found out later by Marilyn and I were doing some door-to-door -door work in a town we were opening in New Elim Church while I was an RS, and we came across the person who was the best friend or used to be the best friend who swindled us. And we thought we got, we wasted all this money, we wasted all this time. Lord, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this to go through this? You know, we're trying to serve you. We've lost money. We've lost time. We can't, haven't got time to look around. And uh, if w house prices had gone up, it's... Do you know what we found out later? The people who swindled us, they committed themselves, they signed it off that with the mortgage company, they did everything, and they found that the house had a structural fault and it was actually sliding down the hill. If we'd got the house that we wanted, to, wanted, our house would have been sliding down the hill. And normally you wouldn't find out those things until you get to heaven. You see, we say, why did God allow us to lose all that money? Why did God allow that to happen to us? You understand what I'm saying? I'm being honest. You know, as I said last time I was here, with a name like Glass, you've got to be transparent. Isn't that right? <laughs> hey, you've got to be transparent. I've got to be real with you. I mean, I can remember Marilyn and I being in bed and Marilyn in tears. 
And she's actually saying to her, and she's got as much faith as I have. Sometimes she's got more faith than me, so I'm not knocking my wife. But she said, God, John, why has God allowed us to lose this money and lose this house, and I've got no time to look for another house? I'm working. And normally you wouldn't, you'd have to carry that till the day you die and find out in heaven that God does keep his word in Romans 8. But we actually came to find the ex-best friends of the people who swindles out of that house, who now got a house that's going down the hill. In all these things, somebody say, all these things, we're more than conquerors. Sometimes we will not find out until we get to heaven why stuff takes place. But we, it's true. So we're winners before we fight. God knew that you look like a failure. You look as if, as if you've lost money. You look if you've lost opportunity. But I'm telling you, you are a winner because I know where the fight's going. I know where the fight's going. I know where the fight's going. And I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons. I mean, that's every problem's in the world, isn't this? Eh? Everything. I'm convinced that neither life nor death, angels or demons, neither present nor the future nor any power. So how can the future be? How can the future be a threat? Well, I can say the present can be a threat, excuse me, because of what we're going through. How can the future? Do you know how many people are frightened of the future? They don't sleep at night because they worry, well, the jobs, it's not they've lost a job. They're worried about losing a job. They're worried that the health will go down. They're worried about getting old. In fact, the future can rob us of today. What, you know, one or two of the scariest words in the world for Christians are what if. What if this happens? What if the other happens? What if that happens? What if, what if? We can ruin our present by worrying about what might happen. But the Bible says God has got it in control. Amen. God has got it in control. And so either present or the future, no power, whether it's economic, whether it's political, whatever power, demonic, nothing will separate, no height, no depth, anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. See, basically, we need to understand God is a generous God. I mean, you think about it, God could have made the world in monochrome, black and white, no color. And we could have existed, couldn't we? God could say, well, you know, I think in my creation we need a flower to brighten up people's lives. We've got species of flowers. Species, we've got different types of animals. God is a generous God. You just look through the ordinary things in the Scripture. For example, when they got manna in the wilderness, you know where they had got no food and God provided manna and they ate it? You know what the Bible says when it talks about it in Psalm 78 verse 29? He said, God provided more than enough. Not just a subsistence, more than enough. When God fed, when Jesus fed the 5,000, what happened? He didn't just feed them until they were full. There were 12 basket loads that were left. You say, what a terrible waste, but God's a generous God. That's the God who wants to do foreign exceedingly abundantly. That's the God that we serve. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in, in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, the verse I quoted earlier, he's able to do immeasurably more than anything that we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. I can't remember, I've preached this a few times, whether I've ever told you the story. If I have, you just waved to me and, and you've already heard it about the, this lady I met when I was, uh, and her father, when I was preaching somewhere. And, and she, from, um, you know, Royal Dalton Pottery, Heard of Roald Dalton, you know, expensive stuff. And she was part of the, her and her father were part of the Dalton family. Uh, they don't make pottery anymore. And she had her own little company. And she's a Christian. She used to make these customized, customized mirrors that, uh, she, in other words, they make, she makes them to order. 
and she makes the mirrors by hand, mosaics and then glass in the middle kind of thing. And then she engraves it with a word from God. So every time you look in your mirror, you get, you know, you get, you know, a blessing. Have I told you about this? So I, I, I just made a throwaway statement when I was preaching some, when she was in this group. And I could hear her from where she was sitting say to her father, write this down. He's part of the Dalton family, write this down. And uh, at the end, she said, I hope I didn't disturb you when I said that. And uh, I said, yeah, I did say that people do take notes occasionally. But I said, I did hear you say it. She said, yo, and then she told me about the mirrors. Um, if you look on Facebook, uh, Lucy Dalton Ceramics, you can see the mirrors there uh, that, that, that she, she sells. And I'd use this phrase that the prayer that I prayed since I was a young man, and I was a pastor, as you know, at 21 years of age, and if you read, some of you have read that book already, but you paid the, the full price today, you're getting it cheaper. <laughs> Not that I'm mentioning that, just in passing. And um, I, I mentioned in there that from a young age, I began to pray a prayer that I prayed all my life. And I didn't, I, I see, well, if you pray for things, you're praying according to your faith. Remember, I said it earlier. God wants to do for and exceedingly above. So I, my prayer would be, God, give me everything you've got for me in my life. That means, God, don't give me the things that you haven't got for me. Don't get me distracted by things which were more lucrative, might bring more money in. Because that, will that might take me away from your purpose. It might take away my priorities. Lord, keep me, whatever that means, exactly where you want me to be. Give me everything you've got for me. And I commissioned one of those mirrors. And if you came to my house, you'd see a mirror. And it's got engraved by this lady. God, give me everything you've got for me. Would you say it with me? God, give me everything you've got for me. God, give me everything. And we're not talking finances. I mean, it can include finances. We're talking about his blessing, his protection, his provision for young people, for the man or woman that you marry. If God wants, God doesn't, everyone in the world doesn't need to get married. You're not a lesser person if you don't get married. You know, you're not a reject if you don't get married. You don't have to have a man or a lady to fulfill your life. God fulfills your life. But many people, they, it's God's will for them to get married. And if it's God's will for you and the job that you get, you want, to want, you, want the th you want the man or the woman that God's got for you. Are you with me? You're not somebody else who seems, you know, has a flash car or a big smile or charisma and all that kind of stuff because that fades over time. Or a woman who's beautiful, that's lovely, but it fades over time. You want God's will for your life. And I'm, I'll, do you mind me talking to the young people here for a second? You really need to have what God's got for you in your life. Right, what God's got for you. Because God's, what God's got for you is always the bullseye of your future. It's always the best for you. In the short term, it may not look to be the best for you, but it is God's best for your life. And you know, that means every time, I don't use that mirror every day. It's in a part of the house where, not even in the room every day, but in the room, it's, I see it. I said, Lord, yes, that's still my prayer at my age. God, give me everything you've got for me. Give me everything you've got for me. And close the doors of things which are not for me. Because I don't want those things. I don't want those things. I don't want those positions. I want, I don't, you know, I want, and it's a great prayer. It's a great prayer. And that way we say, well, Lord, I want you to do for me far and exceedingly abundantly what I can ask or imagine. But I don't, I don't want it to be according to my will. I want it to be according to yours. You know, I mentioned if God has not withholded Jesus from us, you won't hold anything else. This is what the message says. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves in your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. So what does a person like that look like? How do I become that woman of God, that man of God, who lives in this more than expectancy? 
Well, that's the first thing I want to mention. A person who's like that young person, I'm going to come to older people my age, I'm probably the oldest person in the room for all I know, but I'm going to touch to, on the young people, but I've got a word for the older people in a minute. For older people, I want you to get ready for this word from God for you in this, because many people who get to a certain age think it's a great day for young people to be saved. It's a great day for the young people to emerge in the church. How many people know that if you're older, God hasn't finished with you yet? Amen. Amen. And, and I'm not just saying that in a, in a patronizing way. I can't do it because I'm that kind of age. But I want to come to that in a minute. I want to come to that in a second. But whoever we are, whatever age we are, however long we've been a Christian, God, if, you're going to, if we're going to appreciate the best from a, a more than God, we need to be people living in expectancy. See what people, they give up living in expectancy. They just live from day to day. You know, 24 hours and another 24 hours. It's like a merry-go-round. When we were kids, used to get on those roundabouts in the fair. Do you remember that? I was a little kid getting on a little fire engine, ringing a bell, going round and round and round, and shattered by the time it stops. But I haven't gone anywhere. I've gone around in circles. In fact, I've actually got off probably the same place I got on. And church can be like that. Go around, oh, sun is a busy day. But where do we get to? We said hello to the same people. We, we sang for the same songs, enjoying the worship. You've got a great worship team here. We sang, we sang that. We listened to preaching. We went round another Sunday. But do you know many, many of us, we get off by Monday on the same place we got on on Friday or Saturday. It's just another round of meetings. God wants us to take us to a place where we can believe, God, thank you for the ordinary steps of faith. And church is important, believe me. And being faithful to God's house is important. But God wants to do more than just us go through the religious ritual of Sundays. Something deeper in our life. And so we, we mustn't lose that experience. Let's go to older people for a minute. One of the greatest people, if you are of a certain age... And young people, hold on to this because this is, don't phase out of this. Because don't say, oh, this part's not for me. It's for all of us. But, you know, you remember the 12 spies that went into Canaan? You know, they, they looked at the, they spied out the land. And when I was a kid growing up in Sunday school, they said 10 were bad and 2 were good. Well, they weren't bad and good. They were with faith and no faith. All right? So in a way, they might be bad. But they weren't evil bad. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been chosen in the first place. And when they spied, they didn't come back with a different report saying, oh, we can't do this, and some people said we can't. They came with the identical report. There are giants in the land which are bigger than us. There are walls that are higher than us. And also, there is great prosperity and fruitfulness in the land. They all said the same thing. But some of them added, but unfortunately, the, the walls are too big and the giants are too big. Whereas Caleb and Joshua, probably in their 30s and 40s, they said, well... We believe that even though the walls are big and the giants are big, we can, we're higher than them. I'm not going to preach about them, but I'm going to preach about what happened 40 years later. Because now the people have wandered around in circles for 40 years, and now we get into the book of Deuteronomy, which I mentioned when I was here last week, last time rather, because I spoke on experiencing God in the now. You heard me mention about that, and I mentioned about what I've just told you already. Probably didn't spend a lot of time on Caleb, though, because what they did, they want to honor the old man in his 80s. Did I mention, didn't mention that, David? They wanted to honor him. And they thought, you know, let's bring out old brother Caleb, who 40 years ago was one of the good spies, you know. 
Let's give them a bit of honour. And uh, we can patronise older people sometimes when we honour them, uh, we, in, unintentionally. Do you know what they did? They bought him an allotment. <laughs> it's in the Bible. The Bible says they bought him a field. And I'm sure it had a shed at the end, I don't know, but it, it, it was just a field. And they said, you know, the old guy's there. He was good 40 years ago, but, you know, he's getting on. Now, look at the state of him now. Getting old, he's a bit bent and a bit slow. Uh, but we want to say, you know, thank you, brother, for what you've been doing over the years, you know. And uh, they said, we bought your field. And this bloke looks at the field and he says, oh, he didn't say thank you. He said, don't you like your field? You know, it's really level. You won't have to puff and blow and try and get up there. You're going to be fine. He says, I don't want your field. I don't want your allotment. I said, I'll tell you what I do want. You see that mountain over there that's full of the enemies of God? I want to go in and deal with that. I, give me the mountain. Don't give me the fields and allotments. Because I might be older, but my God's still as powerful as when I was young. Come on. God hasn't changed. My physical state might have changed. My age, my frailty might have. But, but he said, don't give me allotments. Don't patronize me with just be in church and be faithful and give your tithe and so forth and, you know, fill a seat on a Sunday and say amen when the pastor preaches. That is not what people who are of a certain age are being confined to. God wants to use women and men of faith of every age to fulfill his purpose. Young people with the vitality and the vision and the creativity that young people have got, and I'm putting over here, but they're all over the place, which is wonderful. Those as well, but none of us are disqualified by our age because God is a more than God and he wants to fulfill his purpose in our life. That's, the, that's what changes the world. That's, that's what's going to change the world, friends. It's not charisma and gifting and personality that's going to change the world. It's ordinary men and women like you and me who are saying, God, I, I know my strengths. I know my weakness. I know sometimes I feel like the Apostle Paul. I'm pressed out of measure above strength. I haven't got anything else to give. But Father, you're the God of all comfort. You're the God. And let me mention the word comfort. Because we have this kind of Western view of comfort. You know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a comforter. Jesus says, when I go, the comforter will come. And we've got this Western view of comfort, which is, um, well, when a little boy or girl falls over, grazes the leg, and mum, with maternal comfort, oh, bless you, dear, oh, you'll be better soon, let me rub it back. That is That's part of God's nature. Around about us and underneath us are the everlasting arms. You know, that's part, I'm not knocking it. But when the Bible uses the word comforter, paraclete, in the Bible, it's a, it's a masculine, powerful picture of a comforter. What do I mean by that? The nearest picture to the word paraclete or comforter in the Bible is, and not everybody would be into boxing here, I'm sure, if anybody, but do you know if you see a boxing match, you've got a man in a corner with a towel and a stool? He's called the second. You all know what I mean? Now, that's the nearest thing we've got in our language to the Holy Spirit as a comforter. You see, John, what are you trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say. Unless we've got a boxing match going on. I'm there, I'm fighting, but I'm bloodied. I've been, my eyes hurt, my face, my nose is half broken. I'm bruised. I've got blood coming out of my mouth. And I slump down onto my stool. And the bell's going to go again. I've got to get back in the fight. And this man comes with a towel who's my second. This is what he doesn't do. Oh, bless you. Did you get knocked in that last round? And did that naughty... Oh, you naughty man. Don't you hit my fighter. Who is it? 
Don't you listen to that naughty man. Come on, lovely. There you are. You'll be your, oh, bless you. Stroke my head and give you a bit of moisturizer. That's great comfort. It's maternal comfort. There's a place for it in the world, but not in a boxing match. Not in a fight. This is his comfort. Now, son, you did all right in the match there. You were doing okay, but I'm afraid you stopped moving. Keep dancing. Keep moving. Keep your left hand up, you know. And let me tell you something. You might feel as if your eyes, your nose is broken and you're in a mess. But I tell you, you're a winner. Get back in this next round. That's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on. It's not, oh, dear pastor, you know, will you visit me? I'm going through this awful stuff. I don't know what the... It's the devil's job to give, our, give us a hard time. That's his job. Oh, God, dear God, you know. And it's, there is a there, there thing, but the comfort of the Holy Spirit is the warm embrace, but it's also, come on, you can win this. Get, keep your guard up. You didn't do good last time, but you're going to do better in this. When that bell goes, you're going to be a new man. Get in and do the business. I'm glad I worship a God like that. I'm glad I worship as a God like that. Ladies, you might not appreciate that thought too much. Some of the men here might appreciate that thought. This idea of this kind of feminization of who God is. God has that part of that maternal care, loving care. And of course, men are capable of that loving care, obviously, as well. But also the thing of God has, wants to make us winners. We're more than conquerors because the Holy Spirit is our second. He's in the corner for us. He's a comforter. He's the paraclete. That's what he's there for. And Caleb had that in his, in his life. And then I want to talk about women for a minute. Let me talk about you ladies. There's a lady in the Bible. Um, her name is Aksa. Anybody know the name Aksa? Is it, do you know Aksa? Well, Aksa. Aksa. A-C-S-A-H. Now, Aksa one day, she got a gift from her father. And her father said to her, I'm giving you a field. Isn't that remarkable? And you say, why is it remarkable, John? Here's why it's remarkable. Because women did not get given property in Old Testament times. If a man had two sons and three daughters, do you know, that's three, five people, he didn't divide his inheritance into five. He divided it into three. Two portions would go to the firstborn son, one to the secondborn son, and nothing to the girls. That wasn't God's will or anything. It's just how the culture was. Are you following me? It's how the culture was. It's how the culture was. And so girls didn't get property when the father died. They certainly didn't get property when he was alive. So you'd think she'd be grateful. Because she's been given property. She's been given fields. So her dad gives her the fields. And instead of saying, thank you, dad. Well, she did say thank you. But she said, Dad, I've just been looking at a map. And I'm, thanks for showing me where my field is. Just, you know the bit you've stopped giving me there? There's, bit, there's some lovely water there, lovely springs of water. Do you mind redrawing the map so I get those as well? <laughs> I mean, you'd call that cheeky, wouldn't you? <laughs> but do you know whose daughter she was? Caleb's daughter. Can I say something to parents now? The faith that we exercise rums, rubs off on our kids. Can I say, and I can say this as a visit because I don't know anything about the church beyond meeting you on a Sunday, but if, if and I'm sure this wouldn't happen in a church like this, but in some churches it would, where people go home, they criticize the worship was too loud or it was too long, the pastor was too long, 
you know, this, that, and the other, heating was too high, it was too low. It doesn't happen in this church ever, I'm sure. But it can. You go home criticizing it in front of your kids, your kids are going to pick that spirit up. They're going to pick it up. If you go home and you avoid, even if you may think stuff that's legitimate, you don't say it, then you're not going to poison people on their heart, on their spirit. And Caleb, the man who was one of the men of faith with Joshua, the man who refused a field and wanted a mountain, he had a daughter called Axa who didn't want a field. She wanted springs of waters as well because it rubbed off on her. The more than father got a more than daughter. Give me more than. I'm hungry for... Anybody hungry for God's best blessing? And you see, you're, you're not a greedy person. And people say, more Lord, more Lord. You know, you, that make you greedy. Do you know why we want more? Because when we've got more, we can give more. When we've got more of God's presence, we can do more. When we've got more of God's heart, we can believe more. We can serve more. We can do more. So by wanting more of God, it means we've got more to give to others. You cannot give. You can, leaders cannot lead people further than they've gone themselves. And people cannot give more than they've got. So the more we have of God. Second thing, and I'm watching time, is generosity. First of all, if we're a more than person in Harlow today, we, 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 we want to have a walking expectancy like Caleb and his daughter, Axa. And also we need to give with, listen to this in, Genesis, in Exodus 36. When the tabernacle was being built, because it was, had to be built and it had to work on the building like you do, in Exodus 36, 5, when the tabernacle was being built, the craftsmen, that's the builders, came to Moses, wait for this, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord that the Lord commanded to be done. David, can you imagine get up, getting up next Sunday? No, don't do it now. It hasn't happened yet. Do it next Sunday. Um, we've got some announcements. We've got the soaking meeting here. We've got things for the kids. We've got things for young people. We've got a barbecue on. I've just got one more announcement. Will you please stop putting money in the offering plate here because we've got more than enough to do everything we need to do. Please take your money back. If you, can you imagine him saying that? Please stop giving money to this church. We've got too much. Stop doing it. Now he said, I'm not sinning. I'm telling you, stop giving the money. We don't need it. That's what they did in Exodus. Because they was, they'd got such a generous God, they began to be generous, and God says, look, we've got enough, thanks. Wow, what a place to be. Because when you believe for more, you're able to give more. So when people say, you know, and in days of the Toronto blessing, things like that, I'm not against it at all in any way, shape, or form. I'm open to anything God wants to do, right? No problem there. Here's the problem. It was always more, Lord, meaning give me more. We need, you see, for a church that's really going to be people, Christians in university, in school, in college, in, in the office, unemployed, whatever situation you're in, if we're people who always want more and more for ourselves spiritually, we're never going to be a church that changes the world or the town or the city. If God's a more than God, we've got to be a more than people. I want to do more. I want to serve. Pastor, how can I serve? Not how can I get behind a microphone under a spotlight. How can I serve? Is there any job I can do that's out of the sight of people, but God can see it? That's a more than person. Giving with generosity. 
Bible says, given it shall be given to you, pressed down, not just money, time. Given it shall be given to you, pressed down, running over. Bring your towers into the storehouse, and I will open the winds orders of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. I don't go on about tithing, but I'm going to say, when I was a little kid, I didn't have a paper round. I had a butcher's round. I used to deliver butcher's meat when I was a kid. On a Saturday, that's how I got my pocket money. And I got the equivalent of 50, made a, it was a lot, worth a lot more those days than it is now, but it was 10 shillings, 50p. I tithed as a kid, 10% into the church, and I put my 10% of my butcher's boys round in the church. I've tithed ever since. I'm now pensioned. I'm still tithing. St- Friends, I want to tell you, you can't outgive God. You have to be wealthy to it. You know, it's a cliche, but the old farmer said, when they asked him, how you've got lots of acres, how on earth do you afford to give so much money to God? He said, it's easy. I, he says, I shovel into God's barn, God shovels into my barn, and God's got a bigger shovel. <laughs> you can't outgive God in your service, friends. You can't outgive God. I could keep you here talking about the amazing thing that God has done. We've got to finish about Tuesday, I was told, haven't they? So, we, <laughs> no, I, I tell you. Can I tell you one story? a church I was a pastor of years ago. I was about 27 years of age. And we tied 10% to Elim headquarters. Every church does that. And we were finding it really, really tight. We had a, a new building and new months with all commitments. And we owned three debts. We owned a debt on the land to one pl- that the church was on. We had to pay that every month. We owed a, a debt on the building for the builders. And we owed a debt on the manse the minister lived in, I lived in. So I... Didn't have enough money to have my own house in those days. And uh, the Lord spoke to me one day. I'm not saying you should do this because I've never done this since, right? So this is not something you should do. It's something, sometimes God says something to do and he just wants to test your willingness at that point. He doesn't want you to do it every single time in your life. And I said to him, God spoke to me out, out of Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, that to shake down, press together and running over. He says, I want you to get your church to give 10% outside of your church, not to Elim, another 10% outside. And we're just about making it. And I thought, well, Lord, I can't, I can't go to my elders and say that because it's not fair on them. You know, we've got, I, I took that church on when it was going into 100% debt every week. For every pound coming on, in, we owned two pounds when I was a young man. We're going 100% into debt every week. We now got the place where the same money coming in was what was going out. Now I was saying, we're going to give, I'm in. So I looked, I said, look, guys, I'm not saying you've got to do this. I'm just saying what the Lord said to me. And uh, I said, I want you to pray about it for two weeks, see what you feel. In two weeks' time, they came back and said, Pastor, if you feel God said it, we're going to do it. We're going in faith, give 10% beyond. That's 20% we're giving away. And the treasurer said to me, uh, he said, Pastor, he's, he called Pastor knows this, Pastor, I'm in favor it, the others are, but I'll be on holiday um, when you actually come to make the final decision. But I just want the guys to know that I'm for it uh, when you actually make the final vote on it. And, but I will, I'll be on holiday. So anyway, he comes back from holiday and uh, he phones me up. He's just got in the door and he says, Pastor, I know the decision that what you made, you, you decided to give the 10%. What time do we finish? Did, right. So he says... I said, yes, how did you know? He said, I've just opened my post. The deacons meeting, the elders meeting was on a Wednesday the previous week. 
And I said, well, how would you know about your post? He said, well, this is what happened. We owe three debts, one on the house, one on the church, one on the land. He said, the, the company, non-Christian company, who owned the land our church was on, said, we just want to let you know that last Wednesday, the day we made the decision, last Wednesday, your name of the Elim Church in West Bromwich was not on our agenda. Somebody started to talk about it for no reason. And we did a thing we've never done in our entire history as a company. We've decided to write off your entire debt. On the day we made a decision to trust God. I got up on the Sunday morning and I told the people, they, these people have struggled. You know, we've all struggled to try and you know, pay the cost because I wasn't, you know, it was a really tough situation in the church, as I just mentioned, 100% going into debt every year. We now got out of that. And now I'm telling them, and I said, and I was a bit naughty. Pastors can be naughty sometimes, can't they? And I said, friends, I want to tell you, we've made a decision. We're going to give 10% further away. And you can see people's faces. They weren't angry. They were like, well, it doesn't make sense. And I waited till I saw all the faces. Then I read out the letter from the company. <laughs> see, God is a more than God. But he's looking for more than people to trust him. I've got to come to a close. And this is not the most popular part of the message of the last bit, but I've got to tell you the truth. God gives us the ability, if you're going through a tough time, not to just to tell you and I that we're more than conquerors, but help us to endure with tenacity until the answer comes. Because not every answer comes immediately, we pray. Which does it need more, need more faith for? Perhaps if I'm ever invited again, I might share on the, the subject. But what does it need more faith for? To have a mountain removed in your life or the power to climb the mountain? It actually takes more faith to climb the mountain. William Carey, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray. I want us to get ministry here from, you know, I want us to get hold of a sense. It doesn't happen in our heads. I can't convince you, friends. Rhetoric doesn't do this kind of stuff. Getting truth from my head to your head is not the way this goes. It's me saying something from the Word, the Word which is alive, getting into our heart and saying, I'm going to believe God for much more in my life than I'm doing, receiving now. It's, a head, it's not a head thing. It's not some cl clever argument that does this. It's something happens in our spirit when we say, I'm going to believe for a totally, I'm, going to be, I'm worshiping a totally different God today than I was believing for when I came in. Listen to this. William, I'm going to read this to you, A, because of time, because I want to go into prayer, just a moment or two prayer before I hand back to Pastor and the praise team. So I'm going to read this so I don't go off talking about it. Many of you have heard the name of the missionary William Carey. Uh, he was a ministry, he was missionary in Sudan. This is his story. He was one of the most amazing missionaries the world has ever encountered. Dr. Peter Hammond describes his life as this. Listen. Undereducated, didn't have a great schooling, underfunded, and underestimated. Do you feel like that sometimes? Right? If ever there was a Job parallel in Christian history, it was Carey. Listen to this. He worked in a country where it was illegal to share the gospel. He battled malaria and other illnesses through, through which his child and grandchild died. He was attacked so much he had to move home five times in seven months because of persecution. He worked seven years before he got one convert. I might have given up before that. Hello? 
He had no home life. His wife was criminally insane. She attacked him with a knife several times and had to be physically constrained for the last 12 years of his married life. This is not an ideal picture, this, is it? You're getting this. How did this man rise to see so many thousands come to Christ? Because he had a more than mentality. This is what he, William Carey said when he saw thousands come to Christ, eventually having gone through all that pain. He experienced the God of all comfort. The words that we, many of you will know, but we never knew who said it, was these. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable, pleasing to God, our spiritual act of worship. You know, it's not really the beginning of the year. Doesn't time go fast? I thought when I'm coming here, I'm going to be coming to Harlow at the beginning of the year. It's already March. But you know, if I had a word to leave with you, David, and Carol, and the elders and leaders, and members here, and attenders here, it would be the word from Revelation 2 at the beginning of the year. Revelation 2, 18 and 19. This is what he says to the church of Thyatira. I know your deeds. God knows the faithfulness of every single one of you in this place. And the tough stuff as well as the good stuff. And the joys and the sorrows and the failures. I know your deeds. I know your love. I know your faith. I know your service. I know your perseverance. And I know that you're doing more now than you ever did at first. So what if it wasn't Thyatira? What was Harlow? Harlow, I know your deeds. I know your love. I know your faith. Your service, your perseverance under trial. And I also know you're doing more than you did at first. He said, Lord, I'm doing my best. But to understand what it is to have a more than God intervening in my situation... I need to have a spirit that says, Lord, I want to do more for you. In spite of everything, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for this house. Thank you, Lord, for every man and woman, boy and girl, every teenager, every young adult that's in this place, and especially in this place today, at this moment. Father, so sometimes we have a, a limited view of you because we have a limited view of ourselves. We don't believe we're good enough. We don't believe we know the Bible enough. We don't believe we're clever enough. We don't believe we underestimate us, and that reflects on our view of God. Think of the man who hid his talent in the ground because he had a poor view of God and a poor view of himself. Father, just pray for people through, not my word, but through the word of the Scripture to arise within their faith right now and say, Lord, I want you to give me everything you've got for me. Look into that mirror. Like a doctor prescribes tablets three times a week or twice a day. And saying, Lord, I'm going to look into the mirror of my life and say, Lord, I want to tell you that. Will you from this day give me everything you've got for me? And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and please, please don't raise your hand because, you, you know, you felt the message was good or you felt um, the message was true. Uh, that's not why we raise our hands. It is because God has spoken into our life and challenged us and say, from today, I'm going to believe from God for more than I've ever believed before. And here's part two, that from today, 
I'm going to seek to do more for God than I've ever done before. Because I'm more than God. More, Lord, does not just mean I receive more. It means that. It also means that I serve more. And I want to take both of those sides of God's purpose into my life. To receive from him and yield to him at the same time. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that's where you are right now, and you can say, Lord, I'm going to respond to that. Believing for more and seeking to do my boy your strength. Raise your hand right where you are. Bless you, bless you. God bless you, bless you. Oh, my goodness me, bless your heart. Any of the young people over here, is God speaking to you as well? Is there anybody there? I want to receive, I want to do more. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. See you right at the back there. God bless you. It's so awesome to be in church and see young people and older people making that commitment. What a, God bless your sister, see you, and sir, see you over there at the back. Take your hand down there on the jumper. Bless you. We're going to pray over your life. See, I can pray with incredible faith and confidence, not because I'm a man of faith and confidence. But you see, when you respond like you responded, God generates something in heaven. Something breaks in heaven over your life. I just have to announce it over you. I just have to announce it over you. And Father, I announce blessing over those who've responded, young and old alike. People who've been Christians for many years, people who've recently come to faith. Father, will you prove yourself to them to be a God who will do far and exceedingly abundantly from this day, far and beyond all that they could ever ask or imagine. Stand by your word in their life so that they will understand that, Lord, and receive it. Lord, may they be women and men of God who have a testimony to give within the next few days and the next few weeks, saying, my goodness me, in that service, it was a catalyst moment because I forget who was preaching that day, but I remember God speaking into my life, and I made a commitment to receive more, to have bigger heart and bigger hand to receive from heaven, and I'm seeking to do more for God. Father, and, and then you can testify to others around you what God has done from this day. Believing for God's best, receiving God's best, and being the best for God. Lord, bless every man and woman who made that commitment, and we're waiting for those testimonies. And Lord, bless this house, bless its testimony in the town. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir.